Well, hello, friends. My name is Juan Carlos Heredia, and I have the honor of serving as one of the pastors here at Sugar Creek. And we're so excited that you are here today, all across our campuses, as well as those of you who are watching us online. We're in the third part of this series, Power Living, and what we're doing is we're exploring the idea that God doesn't want us to live a weak life, but a powerful life. He doesn't want us to live a common, everyday life, but a supernaturally infused life. And so Pastor Mark, a couple of weeks ago, he talked about the power of focused living. And he uh, taught us how when we live a focused life, it'll help us to achieve purpose. And that's something we all need in every area of our life. And then last week, Pastor Ender, he talked about the power of sexual purity and how when we follow God's rules, we will experience an intimacy beyond what our society can offer us today. Now, if you haven't seen any of these messages, you can go to our website or you can go to our YouTube channel. I highly encourage you to watch them. Now, today we're gonna look at a third biblical principle, which is the power of control, the power of control. And here's the thing, if you're here today and you consider yourself to be a religious person, or maybe you're still exploring this whole Christianity thing, you're not really sure about everything, or maybe you're here as a skeptic, you know, you, you have a lot of pushbacks against the church and, and Christianity, or maybe you're already a committed Christ follower, wherever you fall, this principle is applicable for you. Because here's the thing, our human nature desires to control. Our human nature desires to control. It doesn't matter what our beliefs are. It doesn't matter what our past experiences have been. All of us want more control in our life. We all wanna be the masters of our destiny. We all wanna forge our dreams so that we can achieve them in this life. And so we're all looking for ways to obtain more control. In fact, this is so ingrained in us that maybe you haven't noticed how in advertisement they constantly use this in order to get us to buy goods and services. They don't actually use that language, but that's really what's behind it. For example, when they talk about investing in gold, or they talk about uh, buying certain bonds, uh, or they uh, talk about um, investing in certain um, opportunities like real estate. What's, what they're really saying is this, that by doing that, you're gonna take control of your finances. When they talk about buying certain supplements or exercise equipment or joining a certain gym, what they're saying to us is that by doing those things, we're gonna take control of our health or of our fitness. And so when we join a certain school or learn a certain trade or even stockpile on a certain brand of food because of the impending fall of the nation, what they're saying is this, take control of your future. It even, they even use it in little things like hobbies. For example, uh, Pastor Hector Sotelo, who's one of our amazing worship pastors, he got me into golfing. And so now on my social media, I get all of these ads for devices and techniques and people that can help me improve my golf game. None of them have worked. But the thing is, what they're, what they're saying to me is that if I follow this or I buy this thing, it, I can take control of my golf game. And like that, I can give you a whole bunch of examples, but I think we get the gist of it. 
The idea behind all of it is that we, we're all looking for control. When it comes to control, we're suckers. We're like moths that are attracted to a flame. And psychologists think that the reason why we're so attracted to control is because of our fear of the unknown. And so this fear of the unknown takes us to want to have more control. They also speculate that for some people, that fear of uncertainty and unknown is not the only factor, but it's also the idea of past traumas. If you've had a past trauma, it's the idea that you take control so you don't have to re-experience the hurt that you've had in the past. And for others, they say that the reason why they want more control is simply because it's learned behavior. Maybe you observe this in your parents or your siblings or someone close to you that influenced you. But here's the thing, regardless of the reason why each of us want more control, this is something that all of us share. This is something that all of us are looking for. And, and the thing is, this is not anything new. This is actually goes back to the first man and first woman that was created by God, and they were placed in this perfect paradise. And despite having everything they needed, they still desired control. And here's the irony. In seeking control, it backfired on them, and rather than them obtaining more control, as well as all of us as humanity, what we're seeing now is this, that we are oblivious to how much things control us. We are oblivious to how much things control us. In our pursuit to obtain more control, now what we're finding is that things are controlling us, which is ironic. And so, there's so many examples of things that control us. It's not only bad things, it's good things as well. And I think that the classic and obvious example is this. Smartphones are, are a great thing. They've, they've brought a lot of benefits. Having that amount of information at our fingertips is pretty awesome. Also being connected to every person in the world wherever we're at has been, no doubt, a tremendous blessing. But here's the problem. No one, I think, would honestly argue that smartphones haven't brought many issues as well. In fact, I was looking at a study that said that on average, an American will spend about five hours and 24 minutes a day on their smartphone. On average, a person in the US will check their phone 96 times, which is, amounts to once every 10 minutes. Some of you were taking your phones out right now, but you're embarrassed now and you're putting it away. <laughs> See, we're controlled by our phones. And the thing is that the studies show that this is a growing trend. In fact, compared to 2019, just 2019, there's been an increase of 25% time spent compared to 2023 on apps on our smartphones. It's only a growing trend. I was looking at another study and they, they had polled people, they, they had asked people about um, their addiction to their phones. And 47% of people admitted that they are addicted to their phones. The other 53%, they just didn't have the courage to admit that they're also admitted to their phones, or addicted to their phones. And, um, and the thing is, the, the weird thing is that they 
talked about certain behaviors that show addiction that seem to be pretty standard, seem to be pretty normal. Like for example, one, one behavior that shows that you're addicted is that ill feeling that you have when you leave home and you suddenly realize that you forgot your phone at home. Do you press on that hellish day without your phone or do you go back and pick it up? Or another behavior they talked about is this. When you get up in the morning, among the first things that you do, do you grab your phone? That shows that you're addicted. And here's another one. In the first five minutes that you hear a notification that you have a new message, you cannot resist the urge to grab your phone to check who sent you the message. All of those things show that you're addicted to your phone. Now, now it's not only smartphones, there are many other examples. One is our desire for approval. That's something that's controlling a lot of people. And really, that's what's behind most of social media today. The other thing is a pursuit of beauty. This affects all of us, but it really hits women very hard. In fact, did you know that more people are getting plastic surgery today than at any time before in history? And, and also, so many people refuse to post a picture without submitting it through several filters in order to get that perfect picture because they're under the control of that desire for beauty. The other thing is sexual desire. That's controlling so many people. That's why more people are addicted to pornography than at any time before. And it's also a desire for money. So many people are willing to do anything to obtain money doesn't matter if that compromises their integrity, if it takes time away from their family, or it even disconnects them from the church. That desire for money is controlling them. And like that, I could, I could give so many different examples. But here's the thing. If you and I were to sit down and, and over a cup of coffee had a conversation, now I'm not a coffee drinker, but I know several of you would have to have coffee because you're controlled by coffee too. But if I were, you know, we were to sit down and I were to ask you, what is controlling your life? What would you answer? What would you answer? I suspect that for some of you, you would say, well, Juan Carlos, nothing is controlling my life. I'm in control of my life. And others of you would say, I really don't know. What is it that's controlling my life? And here's the thing, it really is pretty simple. It's pretty easy for us to figure out what's controlling us. And all of us, all of us, doesn't matter who we are, we're all being controlled by something. And here's the thing, that uh, when it comes to uh, the control in our life, um, one thing that we need to realize is that our life, our life is a reflection of what controls us. Your life reflects what controls you. This is... This is something that all of us, all of us are going through. And so here are three questions that you would need to answer if you wanna know what is controlling you. The first thing is this. What are you spending your time on? What are you spending your time on? Second thing is this. What are you spending your money on? And the third thing is this. What decisions are you making? If you figure out those three things, you will find out what is it exactly that is controlling you. So, this is not a new problem. We, we all suffer from it. But the incredible thing is that the Bible actually talks about this. And it gives us certain principles 
on what we should do about this desire, this addiction to control. And the Apostle Paul wrote almost 2,000 years ago about this to a group of Christ followers in a city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey today, and he gave them principles for them to follow. Now, the thing is that the letter was actually not only for Ephesus. It was intended uh, for that letter to circulate among the different churches in that area, which means that the principles that uh, Paul lays out was not only for them, but it's also for us as well. And so in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 15, the following. He says in Ephesians 5.15, pay careful attention to what? Then to how you walk or to how you're living. Pay careful attention to the way that you're living. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So notice one thing. Paul gives us three categories of people. And all of us, we fall into one of those three categories. He talks about the wise, the unwise, and the foolish. What's the difference between them? The wise person is the person that understands God's will and is willing to follow it. It's the person that is trying to find out what God wants for him and immediately puts it into practice. That's the wise person. The unwise person is the one that ignores God's will, doesn't know it yet. But as soon as they find out what God's will is, they will put it into practice. So the difference between the wise and the unwise is simply knowledge, knowledge about God's will. And you might be asking, well, what is God's will? Well, Paul is gonna tell us in a second. So if any of us are unwise, we can become wise by simply following God's will. But then the third category of people are the foolish people. Who are the foolish people? The foolish people are those that don't care about knowing God's will and don't care about putting it into practice. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about the fool. There's an entire book that's written about this very issue, and it's called the book of Proverbs. It was written by the wisest man in antiquity outside of Jesus, whose name was Solomon. He was a king, and he, and he wrote this book of Proverbs so that foolish people would become wise. And in the book, he actually defines the fool as the person that believes that they could live their life however they want and not suffer the consequences of it. That whatever decision they make, good or bad, that they are exempt from the ramifications of those decisions. That's what the fool believes. And in this case, here's what the way that Paul applies it to this issue of control. Fools are convinced that they are in control. Fools are convinced that they are in control. See, that's, that's the problem. A fool believes that nothing is controlling them, but they are the ones that are actually in control. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's even sinful behavior. They're in control of it. And they're not gonna suffer the consequences even from sinful behavior. But here's the problem. Sin by its very nature is controlling. And it ultimately will lead to a person's destruction. It, it reminds me of, I don't know if you've 
read about this or heard about this, but the zombie ants, have you heard about that? It's kind of weird. It happens in several parts of the world. Uh, one of them is in the Brazilian Amazonian jungle, and it's this fungus that lives in, in uh, you know, the, the uh, jungle, and as ants leave the colony to forage and bring back their, their food to the nest, they go out and unsuspectingly, they will bite into a leaf that's infected with this fungus. And as soon as the fungus invades their body, it starts taking over. Now, at first, the ant doesn't realize this, and none of the other ants in the colony realize this as well. But little by little, the fungus starts taking over control of the ant. And those that study this, they even say that the ant will start acquiring a drunkard's walk. And then after a few days, the ant will lock jaw into a leaf or some kind of vegetation at exactly noon on a day. I don't know why at noon, but at noon, and then it dies because the fungus will sprout out of the head and it will uh, release more spores around it for its next unsuspecting victim. In fact, it's so gross that here's a picture of it for you to see. Just kidding, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't want to ruin your lunch. But here's the thing, some of you are already looking up the pictures. Why? Because I already told you, you're being controlled by your phone, but you're not listening. But in the same way that the fungus acts, is the way that sin acts on us as well. It invades who we are, and it makes us think at first that we're in control. But it starts gaining control, and it will ultimately lead to our destruction. Here's the sad thing. Some of you that are here today, some of you who are watching us online, are acting foolishly. And it doesn't matter what I say to you, it doesn't matter what people are saying to you around you, you are convinced that you are in control, even of the sinful behavior that you know that you are in. But here's the problem, that it will ultimately lead to your destruction. See, the Bible warns us against sin. And it, and it talks not only about the fact that it will destroy us, but that it will take everything away from us. In fact, when we talk about, for example, hell, a lot of times when we think about hell, we think about this eternal torture chamber. And there's a certain aspect of that that is true that's presented in scripture, but it's more than that. Hell is the idea that sin devours our identity and our identity becomes sin. Several writers have actually thought about this. One of them is the brilliant British writer C.S. Lewis who wrote a book on this that, that's called The Great Divorce. And in The Great Divorce, he imagines people going to heaven and then becoming more and more solid. Why? Because their identity is rooted in Jesus. But then those that go to hell become more and more transparent. Why? Because their identity is being robbed with sin, and ultimately, their identity becomes sin. It's a fascinating book. And that's what happens with sin. It's gonna rob us of who we are. It's gonna devour our identity. It's gonna devour everything that belongs to us, and ultimately, sin is what reigns. That's why it makes sense that a loving God would hate sin. It makes sense that God would tell us and warn us against sin, not because he's a party pooper, but because of the fact that he knows the way that sin is gonna bring destruction to your life. So the fool believes, the fool believes that they can live in sin and not suffer the consequences of it. But what about the wise? What does the wise person do? 
In this case, when we talk about the wise person, the wise person is the person that ultimately believes something really important. And, and he understands the damage that sin is gonna bring in his life. That's why throughout the Bible we see Paul and other writers warning us about not allowing sin to take control of our lives. In fact, in another part of scripture, in Romans chapter six, Paul talks about in verses 12 and 13 about this. And, and he says this, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. In other words, don't let sin take control of your body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. See, the fool offers his body, his life to sin. But the wise, the wise, they realize this. The wise recognize that freedom is only found under God's control. The wise recognize that freedom is only found under God's control. See, here's the thing. We're all being controlled by something and none of us can choose not to be controlled. Being controlled is not an option. But our choice is this, what are we gonna allow to control our life? That's really the choice that you have. And the wise understands that when you choose to allow God to control your life, to lead your life, to guide you, then it's gonna allow you to flourish in your identity. It's gonna allow you to understand purpose in life. And because we were meant to be connected to him. And so the irony is this, that the more control we give to God, the more freedom we obtain in this life and the more well-being we have in every area of our being. So going back to Ephesians chapter five, Paul then continues with his argument and then he says in verse 18 the following. And he says, and don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless living but be filled by the spirit. And at first glance, it seems odd that Paul all of a sudden goes into this analogy, what does this have to do with control? But here's what we need to realize. There's a contrast here. He's contrasting the idea of being drunk versus being filled with the Spirit. What's the contrast? Well, a person that's drunk is someone who's under the control of alcohol, right? We don't actually say it that way. We use different terminology to say or describe when a person is drunk. In fact, we even have laws against this. We talk about, for example, DUIs, driving under the influence. It's the idea that you shouldn't be driving if you're being controlled by a substance because it's gonna impair your ability to operate a vehicle. And so when you're pulled over, a police officer suspects that you're drunk, they will run a series of tests to show if alcohol is what's controlling you or not. And so, when a person is drunk, it's gonna be manifested in the way that they talk, in the way that they walk, in the way that they act, because the person is under the control of alcohol. In fact, some people will, after they're drunk, they'll apologize and they'll say, man, I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I did that. It wasn't me, it's because I was drunk. What are they saying? It's because alcohol was controlling me that I did this. So the idea here that Paul is showing 
is that we should not, as Christ followers, choose to allow alcohol to control our lives. Now, maybe if Paul was living today, he would have used a different example. Maybe he would have said to us, don't allow social media to control your life. Maybe he would say, don't allow anger to control your life. Don't allow your ego to control your life. Don't allow lust to control your life. He could have used a myriad of other examples, but that's the principle that he's putting forth. Now, let me say something real quick about alcohol before I move on. I don't want to harp on it, but now that you and I are talking about this, I might as well mention it. And here's the thing. The Bible doesn't forbid drinking. It forbids, it forbids getting drunk. This is what we just read. And a lot of times people will use, especially Christ followers, will use this argument to justify drinking. And, you know, I understand the argument behind it, but here's what I always say to people when they bring that argument forth to me. I ask them this. In what way has drinking alcohol improved your life? Has it made you a better father? Has it made you a better uh, mother? Has it made you a better husband or wife? Has it improved your relationship with friends or a coworker or even as a follower of Christ? And if it hasn't, but the question is, why allow alcohol to control your life? In fact, some, if they're honest, would say, Juan Carlos, not only has it not improved my life, there's certain things that I'm embarrassed about. That when I've allowed alcohol to control my life, it's made me do things and say things that I later regret. By the way, this principle applies to everything. Anything that controls us. Why would we allow those things to control us? So then, the contrast is allowing alcohol to take control of our life versus being filled with the Spirit. And I think there's a lot of confusion for uh, Christians as far as like, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? In fact, it's the idea of saying that, that the Holy Spirit is like a quantity, right? It's, people will say, will think at least, maybe not say it out loud, but they'll, they'll think, oh, today I'm not, I don't feel close to the Lord. I think I'm like 26% filled with the Holy Spirit today. Or, or maybe, you know, I'm getting better, I'm getting there, my practices, there's things that, so today I'm 62% filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, like, if you did your devotional today and you're here in church and you're hearing the sermon, so you're 89% filled with the Holy Spirit, man, you're, you're, you're getting there but that's not what Paul is talking about. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not about quantity. The moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There is no second experience. There is not God retaining the Holy Spirit and just giving it to you in certain amounts. That's not what Paul is talking about. What Paul is talking about is that being filled with the Holy Spirit is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So it's the idea of, instead of choosing for alcohol to control you, what he's telling us is, choose to allow the Holy Spirit to control you. And in the same way as someone who is drunk, you can tell that they're drunk by everything that it does in the way that they walk, talk, act, that should also be shown by people who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. So the question then becomes to, uh, for us, uh, when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what we want to know. How do we know when the Holy Spirit controls us? How do we know when the Holy Spirit controls us? Well, Paul is going to give us certain behaviors that are characteristics of those that are being controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
And then he's gonna talk about four things. He's gonna say, when you have these four things, you know for certain that you're being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think it's an exhaustive list, but I do think it's probably the major categories and that's why he's mentioning it. First thing is this. When you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, you will have uplifting words. You're gonna have uplifting words. Look at the way that he describes it in Ephesians 5, uh, 19, the first part. He says this, being filled with the Spirit, right? And then this is gonna be shown by speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So what Paul is saying, that when we talk to each other, we should be singing. I'm gonna try out for the choir next week, see how it goes. But that's not what Paul is saying. In fact, someone comes singing to you, you're gonna say, oh, maybe this person is drunk. They're, they're kind of weird, right? That's not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is that when we speak to each other, we do it with uplifting words. We do it with words that edify, words that build up people. Rather than being critical, rather than gossiping towards each other, rather than using our words to tear down people, when you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, it's gonna be manifested in the way that you speak. Another thing is this. He talks about that a second behavior of those that are being controlled by the Holy Spirit is that they will have a worshipful spirit. They will have a worshipful spirit. So he continues to say in verse 19, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. See, another thing about those that are being controlled by the Holy Spirit is that they will have this desire to worship God. And here's the thing. All of us, all of us worship something. It's, it's part of our human nature as well. And some people choose to worship a sports team. Other people worship athletes. Other people worship celebrities or movies or TV series or a whole slew of things. We even buy the merch to show that we love these things. We worship those things because that's part of our human nature. What Paul is saying is that when you allow the Spirit to control you, you will automatically start worshiping God, which means that when we gather together, part of what we do is we worship fully. We don't just stand with our arms crossed or with our hands in our pocket, not participating in the worship, just reading the words, but we're actively worshiping God because he is worthy of it. And so that's what happens when we're being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Another thing is this, that when we're being controlled by the Spirit, we will have a grateful attitude. We're gonna have a grateful attitude. And, and here's the thing about the dangerous times we, we're living in. You know, fewer people are being grateful. This is something that is getting lost. A lot of people, instead of being grateful, they're, they're feeling entitled, and that's dangerous. We, as Christ followers especially, when we're being controlled by the Holy Spirit, we should have a grateful attitude because everything we have comes from the Lord. And so Paul says it this way. He says in verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice the way that he says it. He says, giving thanks always for everything. That means giving thanks in good times and in bad times, in health and in illness, when we have plenty or when we have little, when things are rough 
or when things are going well, we ultimately understand that everything we have is thanks to God. Your next heartbeat, your next breath, every minute of your life that you're enjoying is only thanks to God. And when the Spirit controls us, he constantly is reminding us of this, and we're giving thanks to the Lord. And then the last, the fourth thing is this. When we're being controlled by the Spirit, we will have submission in relationships. We will have submission in relationships. Look at, look at the way that he ends this part by saying in Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. What does submission mean? Submission simply means to put other, other people's needs before our own. That's what submission means. In fact, that's what Christ did for us. Despite the fact that he has the right to rule as God and as the king of the universe, he set that aside because our need was for salvation. And that meant that in order to give us that forgiveness of sin that we required, it meant that he needed to be crucified. And so Christ was willing to put our needs before his own needs. And what Paul is saying is that when we're controlled by the Spirit, that's exactly the way that we're gonna approach our relationships. And so he famously enters a section of scripture that is pretty well known where he talks about mutual submission between a husband and a wife. Submission that should exist between parents and children. Also between what was applicable back then, which was masters and slaves, which today would be applicable to our relationship between employers and employees, or really between anyone that has power over us or that we have power over them. In all of those relationships, there should be submission when we're controlled by the Spirit. The idea is that it should be shown in every area of our life. So let me end with an illustration. Think about this water bottle for a second, right? This water bottle is filled with water. In a sense, it's being controlled by the water. Now, what would happen if I squeezed this water bottle? Well, this is what would happen. And the question would be, why did the water come out? You say, come on, Juan Carlos, that's obvious, because you squeezed it. No, that's not the reason. It's part of the reason, but that's really not the reason. The reason why water came out is because it's filled with water. See, whatever's inside is gonna be shown whenever it's squeezed. And the same thing is gonna happen to you and me when we go through good times or bad times. Whatever is in us, whatever controls us, is gonna come out in the way that we talk, that we act that we treat other people. And what would happen if you and I decided to give control to the Holy Spirit? How would that improve our marriage? How would it improve our relationship with our kids or our parents or our friends or coworkers? It would change absolutely everything. So why not do it from this moment on? Why not decide that continuous decision to allow the Holy Spirit to control us in every moment of our life. For some of you, this means that in order to give control to the Holy Spirit, you have to first give control to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and what that means 
is that today you have to make a decision. And that's why as a church, we have prepared a special place for you that we call the Next Step Center. And if you're at one of our other campuses, it's gonna be in the lobby here at the Sugarland campus. It's here in the Commons area. And there, there we're gonna have people that'll help you make that decision. Because you might be thinking, wow, there's a lot of religious jargon. I don't understand what it means to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus, to accept Jesus. And that's why we have people there that are gonna help you make that decision today. So Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you because we can give control to you and you give us true freedom. Allow us to make that decision daily, that that ongoing decision would be something that manifests itself in every area of our life. And we thank you for your love because we're not deserving of this, but you gave us this and granted it only because of your grace and your love. And to this we say, thank you, Lord. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.